Amen. Tonight I'm going to be taking the study from the book of Ruth. And I was invited to share last Saturday. We went to um, Anikthi's church, beloved church of ours. And they asked me to share upon the book of Ruth and to see perhaps what the book of Ruth actually speaks to us about. And tonight I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me. You know, as I've walked my journey, I prepare less and less in terms of what I'm going to say. But my preparation comes from spending time with the Lord Most High. And I know that each and every one of us, in order for us to be able to be used as a vessel, we need time with God. We need time that we sit at his feet and listen to his word. And often when we sit in his presence, it may seem as though he is silent. But in his silence, that's when you receive revelation. That's when you receive the light bulb moments. It's not always hearing God so clearly. It's in the tenacity, in the wrestling, in the prevailing in the staying up, in the fasting, in the seeking, in the drawing, in the forgetting what lies behind. We are all on a journey. And I thank God for your lives tonight. And ACC is moving leaps and bounds. And Archbishop has been sharing of late what God is doing. And he's expanding the tent. But we need to be ready in season and out of season to do what? To give an account of our faith, our individual faith. We collectively, corporately come together as a church with Archbishop in this dimension as the head and we are the body. In the spiritual dimension, we know that only Jesus Christ is the head of his church. And he's preparing a church, a bride, without spot, without wrinkle. He's preparing us. He's taking many of us through the fires of refining. He's taking us. He's increasing the heat. Why? We know Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they refused to worship a foreign god. They would not bow their knee to a foreign god. They would only bow the knee to Yahweh. And many of us have been taken through the fires of refining because we're refusing to bow the knee to any other but God most high, the high and lofty one. And when you refuse to go through the current along with the current of the world. Can you shut that back door? Sorry, please. When you refuse to be taken with the current of the world, you will be an enemy to the enemy. He will highlight you. He will mark you. But even in that place of affliction, the Son of Man will stand with you. You need to be confident being confident isn't that everyone's going to like you. Being confident, it doesn't matter if they don't. That's confidence and assurance in God. Not that everyone will love me. I'm not ignorant of the devices of the enemy. And I know that we wage a warfare with the spiritual realms and with the powers of darkness. But confidence and insurance comes from knowing God. Knowing that he's my keeper, my protector, the one that walks with you. When I say me, I'm saying you, us, Christian, that bears the name of Christ, an ambassador that's going to be sent out, apostello. We are being sent out. That's what the apostolic means in our church. We're being sent out. We're being fishers of men. 
but you're not always going to be received. You're not always going to be celebrated. But when you're not celebrated, after you've preached the word, you've labored, you've fasted, you've stayed up, you've stood in the gap. If they do not receive you, shake the dust off your feet. Shake the dust off your feet and go to the next town, go to the next village, go to the next soul and the one after. Many are in the valley of decision at the moment as we speak. Many, many souls are in that valley. Be used for a time such as this. But because the time is short and the enemy knows that, he'll do anything in his ability to confuse you, to disorientate you, to change the way you're speaking, to change your language. But Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego would not partake of the delicacies of that kingdom of Babylon of confusion. They kept themselves separate. Daniel kept himself separate. And separation often means aloneness. But I'm learning more and more that being alone does not necessarily mean I am lonely. You feel the effects of being alone, but that's when he's even closer. And I want to encourage you tonight that sometimes tragedy hits our lives. And I've had my fair share of late but I thank God that I'm still standing. And I'm confessing that I'm standing better than I have ever stood. Why? Because I'm leaning on the everlasting arms of Jesus. No longer will I lean on any other man but Jesus. The man Christ Jesus. Why? Because there's only one mediator between God and man. And that's Christ Jesus. I have made him too small in my eyes. God forgive me. That's the lyrics of the song thinking that he's unable to help me. God, forgive me. Let's exalt him in our church and rely only on him. I surrender all. To who? Like Bishop says, to Joe Bloggs. I surrender all to Jesus. Only he can keep your soul. He is the keeper of your soul. He, you are the apple of his eye. But the enemy comes to steal, to kill, to destroy, to confuse, to dishearten, to discourage, to disappoint. And I remember Joyce Meyer years ago. She said, when you feel disappointed, appoint yourself again. And tragedy hits our lives and it can throw us some unexpected curveballs, painful stuff. But we need to, we need to just learn to, to blossom where we're planted. We just need to learn that lesson that there's hope for a tree. If you turn to Deuteronomy 33.12, I hope you are with me. Of Benjamin, he said, the beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him, who shelters him all day long, and he shall dwell between his shoulders. You and I are beloved. We are the David of God. No matter how you feel, because you stand in Jesus Christ, no matter how you feel or what is happening around your life, you are beloved. And we need to receive that and accept it because they are the, the plans of the enemy that come to steal, kill, and destroy, to bring condemnation. But you are beloved. And in Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never, we should underline never, 
He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. And Genesis 26, 24. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So when events overturn our lives, uh, we can get lost in grief and hurt. And it reminded me of Hannah, where she went to Shiloh. She was barren. And the other wife continually caused her misery. She was barren. She was empty. Her husband loved her, but she felt that she didn't, that God closed her womb. And she went to the right place. She went to the throne of God. But she went with a sorrowful spirit. She went with, with that type of sorrow. And we might experience that loss, but God is faithful. If we turn to 1 Samuel 1.15, I want to encourage your spirits tonight and lift you up. So no matter what life comes and throws at you, you will stand and you will remain. And Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do you know how to pour out your soul? Because many Christians do not. Many Christians feel condemned to pour out their soul. They think if they pour out their soul, they're complaining as the Israelites complained in Egypt. But there is a default. It's not gossiping and it is not complaining. Look at the psalmist of Israel, David. Psalm after psalm after psalm. What did he do? He poured out his soul before the Lord and God heard him. Because God's ears are open to the cry of the what? The righteous in Christ. Not my will, but Christ be done. But in Christ, pour out your soul. And we experience often a loss of identity. And these things make us feel disorientated. And in the Old Testament, this is the book of Ruth. When we shared on Saturday, on Saturday last Saturday, the host, Reverend Colleen, got up. And she actually said, which is so true, how many women in the scripture have their own book? But Ruth was a foreigner. She was a Moabite. She was far from the covenant of Israel, the, the promises. Yet she has her own book recorded. Do you know how many books have been discarded? They've been looked upon. They've been meditated upon. And they have not been chosen to be included in our Bible. They're not canonical. Yet Ruth, the Moabite, the forsaken, the rejected, the despised. She's got her own book, and I thank God that that's the God that we serve. The God of the shepherd boy, David. The God that doesn't look as we look, but looks on the heart. Praise God. And she offers us so much instruction, the story of Ruth. And in that book, you need to read it. It's a short book. And we can just literally draw some truth tonight for our Bible study. But I will encourage you, read it. It's the story of Christ with his bride. It's the story of Boaz, who's a wealthy man, a landover, an esteemed man, a man of valor, and a Moabite, so far from Israel. And that's who we are. Do you know 
We were called, as you know, Archbishop ministers, as little dogs. Each and every one of us. Yet God saw fit to literally graft us into the real olive tree. By his grace and his mercy, he delights over us. He sings over us. He loves us. He gave the best that heaven had to buy us, to purchase us, to adopt us in all our sins and in all our weaknesses. And he uses the foolish things of this world, the weak things of this world, the despised things of this world. When he came, he did not associate with the Levites, the Pharisees, the priests. He went through the temple, but when did he spend most of his time? With Martha and Mary and Lazarus and the lepers and the blind and a group of disciples who were illiterate fishermen with calloused hands and tax collectors. And Zacchaeus, he went to his house. You know, a tax collector at that time in Rome, the Roman Empire, was so despised because they were unrighteous. They were not just merely doing their job. They went far and above beyond receiving taxes. They were despised. Yet God said, Zacchaeus, today come down. Today I'm coming to your house. Why? Because Zacchaeus ran ahead and we read it and read it and read it. And I want tonight to do something new in your life. As I know God is doing something new in my life. But it's taking struggle. It's it's taking a lot of travailing. But I know God's got something great. And before he builds, he's got to uproot. We think we've arrived. We're just Beginning church, beginning our love affair with Jesus. Oh. If you don't see me, I'll be raptured soon, I think. <laughs> so Ruth teaches us so much, but we find good news. We, we, we find tragedy in this story. To give you an overview, because I won't be able to go into it. But it begins, let's read it actually from chapter 1. Let's go to the book of Ruth, chapter 1. And we give a quick overview and then go back to what I want to draw or the Holy Spirit would like to draw out for us this evening. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, The name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons was Machlon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. So it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. And that's the problem, church. When the judges ruled was a time in Israel that it was, they had no king. Because they chose a king. There's a long story. You need to read it yourself. But the judges ruled. And at that time, if you read the book of Judges, the children of Israel would sin. God would send the judge, a deliverer. He would restore them. They would sin again. He'd send someone else, sin again. And this is sometimes what happens in our Christian life. Lord, forgive me. I will not do it again. Uproot it. Whatever we might say. And then we fall flat on our face and we sin again. And God sends again. We have an advocate. They had a physical judge. But we've got an advocate in heaven, Christ Jesus. 
that we can uh, claim and adhere to. But in this book, there was famine. Then there was death because Naomi and her family went to Moab because there was a famine in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. But even in the church, often we feel there's a famine. And this is what happens. We become disheartened in church life. We get used to churchianity. We hear sermon after sermon after sermon and our heart isn't softened and we think something's not right and we rear off. We may not do it physically, but in your mind and in your heart and in your soul, often we are far from God. And we go to Moab, we go to a foreign country for the world because we think that the world has more to offer us. We make the famine in the house of God because Bethlehem means house of bread. And he said, I am the bread of life. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Is that right? So we have no excuse to be hungry for our soul to be lean while we sit in the house of God. God is as close as we desire him to be. And if we're not experiencing the fullness, the manifestation, the Shekinah, that glory, the anointing, it's because we have distanced ourselves. God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's given his best to claim you, to have you as the apple of his eyes, seal. He said that in his, we're in the Father's hand. Who can snatch you away from that place? But we often wriggle out of that place like a child on its father's knee. You see a child, a toddler, and you see how they wriggle and they do their best to get off the Father's knee. But we need to remain there, church. Whatever is going on, it's the potter's will. Remain on the potter's will. Sometimes you get dizzy because you're spun so much and then you're crushed and then water's poured on you and all sorts of things are happening. And if you survive that, you're going you're gonna to go into the fires. But he's got his eye on the thermostat. And the minute that you are ready, that thermostat will be opened. That oven will be opened. You'll come out and it's the Holy Spirit's role and those that he places around you to paint you, to be artistic, to develop you, to make something beautiful for his glory, to make you a vessel of honor, to be used. And it doesn't matter what we look like. It doesn't matter our color, our nationality. He's not concerned with colors, really. He beautifies the meek with salvation. It's from him that we, receive, we gain our beauty. And he never makes an accident. Doesn't, no accidents in God. So it's a story. There was a famine. She went to Mo, they went to Moab. They left the house of God, if you like, the place of, of bread. But she lost her husband there, Naomi. He died, and soon after, she lost both her sons. Think about that for a moment. How many are experiencing loss and grief? And I'm in the process, perhaps it will be later on, or the, in the new year, in the process of having a retreat, healing the soul of a woman. And when I say woman, I'm, well, I do mean women. I'm not taking any men with us. However, the spirit is feminine 
That the soul is feminine. And as much as we women need healing, so do the men. Because there's, there's no real male or female. But that's what we're doing. We're going away to a retreat. It has to be somewhere beautiful where we can spend time healing. Praise God. So it's a story of transformation in this place of loss and grief. Naomi lost everything she, she valued. Imagine that. She lost her husband and both her sons. Let's go to Ruth 1. Let me see verse 5. Then both Machlon and Chilion also died. So the women survived, the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. He had visited his people by giving them bread. And imagine with Naomi, she was a woman. It's even worse than what happened with Job. I mean, her life was turned upside down, but being a woman at that time is similar to now what we experience and we hear on the news with the Taliban. Women were the property of a man. And when the husband died, she was at the mercy then of her sons. And when her sons died, she was less than a slave. That's the reality of the time that they lived. Similar to what we hear now when you say about the Taliban that they need uh, an elder or a man to go out with. That's how serious life was for them. They had no shelter, no protection, and they were left. But God is merciful and God is kind and God is long-suffering. And this is nothing happens per chance. We think in our lives that God allows certain things. In fact, Naomi said, why do you call me, Naomi? Call me Myra, call me bitter, call me empty, because God has afflicted me. Was that a true statement? Sometimes we read the scripture and we think everything is a true statement. It was true for Naomi. But really, God is not a God who punishes and afflicts. He allowed certain things to bring about something greater, to show his mercy, to show his glory. Because at the end of this story, Ruth, who is Naomi's daughter-in-law, gives birth to Obed. And Obed is in the lineage of the Messiah. A Moabite from nowhere, from nothing, despised, becomes in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And he's spoken about in terms of Rachel even. Isn't that amazing? So Naomi was a woman worse than Job. When, when things happened with Job, at least he was a man. The Lord's hand, she said, has turned against me in Ruth 1.13. So that was a true statement. That's how she felt. The Lord, 1.13. And she was saying to her daughter-in-law, go back to your, your mother and father's house. Would you wait for them till they were grown? She goes, I'm, I'm past the age of bearing children. And even if I did and I had sons, are you going to wait till they grow for you to marry them? She was encouraging them. She was a godly woman. She knew her fate. She knew her circumstance. And she didn't want her daughter-in-laws to be in that place. Would you restrain yourself from having husbands? No, my daughters. For it grieves.
grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And how many times when we're in the depth of despair, there may be a niggling voice that the hand of God is against us. Disqualify it. Because Jesus Christ now is our kinsman redeemer. He now, we stand in him and everything in Jesus is yes and amen. This perhaps was an Old Testament book. But things have changed, church. We are the bride. He has given his life for his bride. And he will do anything. Come hell or high water, he will stand for you. The Holy Spirit, he says, I will not leave you orphans. I go and I'm going to send one that's going to live with you, abide in you, guide you, take you into all truth, take what is mine and share it with you. He said, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends because friends know what the master is doing. He, they know. And we're the inner, inner core. He says to them, it hasn't been given. But to you, it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. He's not going to leave us orphans. He's not going to leave us ignorant. He will tell us things to come. We have no fear whether we're going to be raptured, whether we will remain pre, post, whatever it might be that we hold on to. We do not have to fear because perfect love. He is perfect love and he has cast out all fear. Why? He says, I have not given you that spirit to torment you. I've given you a spirit of love, of agabi and power and a sound mind. I was reading today, actually, these uber facts, and it says that a brain that is going through heartache, like Naomi and Ruth did, heartbreak and heartache, if you have an MRI on that brain, it shows it. It affects stress and heartache and brokenness affects the white matter of our brain and God does not want us to experience this. He has come to heal the brokenhearted. He has come to release the captives. He's come to set us free, not to torment us. That is not our portion. Our portion is love, joy, peace, and righteousness in the Holy Ghost. Our portions that sorrow may last for a night, but joy will come in the morning. Our portion is he's taken our mourning, he's turned it into dancing. Our portion is that we were once the prodigal, we came to our right mind, we ran to our father, he embraces us. He gives us the best robe, the first robe. He puts sandals on our feet, he gives me a ring. But the enemy comes to confuse us, like he did to Naomi. She suffered, but God had a greater plan for her, for her name to be recorded in this book. Had she have not gone through that journey, had Hannah not had that experience, had Hagar not been in the wilderness, they would never have been mentioned. Had Rachel not experienced what she experienced, and David, Jeremiah, and Isaiah. So what if it happened to them of old? These are the heroes of the faith. Why do we think it shouldn't happen to us? Unless you're nominal, 
unless you're lukewarm, you have to go through the fire. Your fire might be different than mine, but you have to go through it. Why? He says, narrow is the way that leads to life. We don't want to be a church that says, Lord, did we not prophesy? Did we not do this and did we not do that? And he turns and says, I didn't know you. And how do we know him? By pouring out ourselves, by pouring out our complaint, by having a dialogue. He says, come on, come with me. Let's reason together. Let's reason. Let's talk about this. Stay up in the night watches, fast and pray. Test me and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and bless you with a blessing that you'll never believe or imagine. Let's reason together, he said. Your sins were red as scarlet, but I'm going to make them white as snow. Why? Because he's the one that washes whiter than clean. As long as we say, Lord, create within me a clean heart, renew a steadfast spirit within me and take not. Take everything else you want, but take not your Holy Spirit from me. Because without the Holy Spirit, it is over. Ruth 1a, I'm going all over the place, I'm not, hallelujah. And Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go return each to her mother's house, the Lord deal kindly with you. And kindly is the same Hebrew word, hased, that David uses in Psalm 23.6. If we put Psalm 23.6 there, surely goodness and hased shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Mercy, hased, is loving kindness, is kindness. That's another word for kindness. And one thing I know, and I remind myself again and again and again, that God is not a man, and God is kind. If you desire to have an attribute, the attributes of God, You need to have kindness, surely goodness and kindness. And God's kindness follows us all the days of our lives. Many will betray us. Many will let us down. Many will hurt us. And the hurt runs deep and raw. But God's loving kindness will follow us all the days of our lives until the end of time. He said, I'm going to be with you. Put your name there. I will be with you until the end. And this is what he did for Naomi and for Ruth. I thank God. Naomi changes her name to Mara, as we said, bitter but it, what didn't last long, she understood that life back in, the, in Bethlehem would be better no matter what. She heard that God had visited his people like the prodigal and she returned. And I thank God for that. And God is the God of justice, church. God commanded the Israelites to protect the weakest people in the community. And if we can turn, if Stav, can you go to Deuteronomy 24, 17? Because the book of Ruth is about a redeemer. It's about the kinsman redeemer. And this is in the man Boaz. But Boaz stands as a representation of the greatest redeemer, and that's Jesus Christ. And there was a provision in, in Israel. If someone 
there was a kinsman redeemer, a relative that was close to you. If you got in trouble, and this is how God expects us to live, unfortunately Christians do not. But the Jewish community actually adhere to this. That's why they prosper, because they help one another. They're not jealous of each other. Don't try and drag each other down. They lift each other up. And there is a provision in Israel that a kinsman redeemer, a close relative, if you got in trouble and you were in debt, it was up to them to come and stand alongside you and help you. And if you died, it was the kinsman redeemer that would marry your wife to be able to bring, to claim back that land and to also allow that name to continue. And this is what Boaz did with Ruth. Ruth's husband died. Boaz was their kinsman redeemer. There was one closer, but he didn't want to marry Ruth. He wanted the land. He was prepared to pay for the land, but he didn't want Ruth the Moabite. But Boaz was righteous, was wealthy, and he was a man of valor. And he took Ruth. He bought that land, and he took her as his wife. And that's what Christ has done for us. I'm trying to condense it because we, for, for time, But he was well respected. Hallelujah. You shall not pervert justice due to the stranger or the fatherless, nor take a widow's garment as pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord God and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore I command you to do this thing. And what God has done for us, we must do for others. Because God is a God of justice. We say ascribe greatness to the Lord. Is it ascribe greatness to the Lord? The God of justice. A God of faithfulness without injustice. That's one of his attributes. He is just. And that's how we need to live. What God has done for us, we must do for others. We were the poor man. And there was a Lazarus who was rich. And God came and shared everything that heaven has. And sometimes we say in Isaiah, don't turn your eyes away from looking at your own flesh. When there's others in need around us, let's be giving church. Let's work while it's day. Let's store up treasure in heaven. The world is seeking treasures on earth. The world is seeking wealth and prestige and popularity and plaudits. That's the world, enmity with God, the opposite of who God is. Imagine God in the flesh. What did he own down here? He didn't even own a donkey, meaning he didn't even have a car. He didn't have travel, transport. When it was time to pay their taxes, he had no denarii on him. He sent Peter and he, made the, he found a coin in the mouth of a fish. What is it teaching us? But we turn our eyes away from these scriptures and we claim only what we desire to claim. Be like Jesus because one day it's going. In five years they're saying it'll be cashless. Bring it on. Michael, does that affect you? Praise the Lord, because God is for you. Doesn't matter what we have. Doesn't matter how much we're in our bank accounts. What God is looking at is the depth of the heart. What do we do with what we have? 
As we said, it's not a problem having finances, but what do you do with what you have? First Peter 5, 6. We're going to conclude. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And Job 7, 17. What is man that you should exalt him, that you should set your heart on him? He loved Ruth. He saw something in Ruth that delighted in him, that delighted him, because she cared for her mother-in-law. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, and for any of you that don't like your mother-in-laws, take a, a lesson from Ruth. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Boaz heard about Ruth. In fact, he honored her. He took her under his wing. Why? He said, I've heard about you, the love that you had for your mother-in-law, how you never left her. She said, then treat me not to leave you. When Naomi was pushing her back, she was going forward because she saw something in Naomi that she delighted in. She saw Naomi's faith and she wanted to be a part of her God. And that, do people see that in us? That's the acid test. Do they want to serve the God we serve? Have they seen the goodness of God in our lives? Do we display it? Do we speak about it? Do we shout it from the roots of that God has been good to me? Because he lives, I live also. All the things he's brought me through, all the journeys, the mountains, the valleys, all of these things, I can stand here tonight and I can testify that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I can testify that he restores the years the locust has eaten. I can testify that what God has done before, he's doing again and again and again. And if he's done it for me, he can do it for you and your neighbor and your children's children because that's the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Praise God. No labor of love goes unnoticed. Just carry on working and do not, I'm going to conclude, do not grow weary in doing good. Do not. Let the loving kindness of the Lord continually cover us. going to conclude with this in chapter 3 verse 9 let me just Praise God. 
Ruth actually asked him, please read these scriptures. But she went to Boaz one night under the instruction of Naomi. And in a Z, in, she actually said to Boaz, spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Spread the corner of your garment over me. And what she was actually saying, she was asking him to marry her. Now, I don't know whether I'd encourage some of our young ladies to actually take that step. However, she had the boldness of the Holy Spirit. She was asking Boaz to marry her, spread the corner of your garment. And this imagery comes from the book of Ezekiel. And God actually, in Ezekiel 16, 8, let's read what God has actually said. He said, when I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you and you became mine, says the Lord. And that's exactly what God is doing for us this evening. He's spreading his garment over us. He's drawing us close to him, ladies and gentlemen. He wants to be in a covenant of love, not a covenant of fear, not a covenant of wrath, not a covenant of condemnation, but of love, of forgiveness, of acceptance, of marriage. We are the bride. We need to take that place. And when Ruth was going to go to, to Boaz, she changed her clothes. She took away the garment of widowhood. And it's time that we need to take that garment of poverty, of being a stranger, of being a widow, of feeling forsaken, of feeling rejected because we're not married. We are married. We are married to Christ Jesus. Whether you are married in the flesh or not, ladies, you are married when you come under that covenant, when he spreads his garment over you. A good husband in that time was able to provide for his wife to protect her, to uphold her, to feed her, to make sure she never hungered, to cover shame. It was shameful for, for Naomi and Ruth. They didn't have that covering. But now in the New Testament especially, we have that covering. We have the Holy Spirit that hovers over us, who lives within us. In, in Isaiah, he's, he speaks clearly of him being our husband. And I'm speaking to the men also, that unity, that intimacy, that knowing, that's how God wants to know you and know me. So when it's all been said and done, we're going to say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. I've shared it many times. There's a lot of servants out there that doesn't impress God. What impresses him is, are you a lover? Are you a friend? Are you intimate with God? Servants, thousands thousands but few are actually his friends actually hear his voice and the reality is that often we don't even know those few because they're so precious that he covers them and he hides them because he doesn't want them exposed to the enemy so don't seek popularity don't ever seek it if it happens and God places you in position, hold it with humility and love for his sheep. That's the most important thing, to love 
those that he loves. Let's bow our heads. God bless you. Let's just come back. I pray that you have had some over, overview. There was so much to say. Psalm 46 says, Be still and know that I am God, and I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. Hallelujah. We want to run for cover. Psalm 91 says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And let me say, um, Psalm Isaiah 41, I'll find it here. Let's be in expectation as to the move of God. Let's be real God chasers. We want to chase God. We want to touch him. We want to not let him go. We want to forget whatever lies behind now and let God do a new work in our lives. Isaiah 41.10. Can we stand together? I hope you're still awake, beloved church. 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Praise God. <laughs>